You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 168. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelana Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey san, hey san! Yes! Guys, back together again. Yes. Very, very good. I feel like I owe everyone an apology, not only the two of you, but all our listeners. And thanks to Pontus for um, coming to the rescue. Pontus to the rescue! The late, very, very late <laughs> release of one of our, of our, one of our yeah. episodes. This is uh, what it looks like when someone t- uh, takes more on than can really carry. Yeah. And that happened to me. Not the first time, actually. Um, <laughs> but thanks yeah. very much, Pontus, for, for saving the day. And, no worries, and, no worries. Um, we have taken the... precautions, at least for the next month or so, changed yes. our routines a little bit, so the editing will be a little bit more quick. Since it will be done by you. Thank yeah, you yeah. very much for... <laughs> yeah, we'll see if I can live up to the challenge now. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see if our listeners notice uh, any significant changes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't in know. the style of the of the show. Maybe, maybe, but at, at least some listeners are paying attention. Listener Phil wrote in and with a small correction to something I said in episode one sixty three. I uh, listed uh, countries in Europe that still have blasphemy laws, and he pointed out that I included Ireland in that list. But that was stupid of me because we have on this show actually reported last year that there was a referendum last year to change the constitution in Ireland. So they they are removing that part about blasphemy. I do believe that the law is still formally there. They haven't removed it yet, but it's not being used and it's on its way out. So I should have uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't have included uh, Ireland uh, when I spoke of that. So but thank you for the for the feedback. We want uh, of course to be corrected when we are not quite right. Yeah, I mean it always feels a little bit bad to be corrected, but the end result feels really really nice. So when we actually find out that oh, we learned something, we we realize that okay, we can make it right. That's that's when it starts feeling good. So we'd rather be corrected than wrong. Let's put it that yep, way. Exactly. So please contact us. And you can write to us. Our email address is info@theesp.eu. You can also go on our website, which is theesp.eu. Complete contact form on there. Follow us on Twitter and tweet at us. Um, and our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. Also, of course, Facebook. You can always like us there and get in touch. And if you really like what we're doing, you can also support us by going to patreon.com slash theesp and uh, pledge to give us a dollar or so for each show that we produce. That helps a lot and it also makes us feel a little bit more important than we are. So please do that because we like it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, we really do appreciate anybody who wants to support the show. Yeah, and it it helps because obviously running a podcast like this uh, comes with expenses as well. And uh, obviously we're not making making a living (laughs) out of this and uh, we're not pocketing that money. But uh, who Mm. knows? If it helps us uh, get somewhere where we can report from, international events of some sort or that kind of thing, I think uh, if you agree, dear listeners, that that is a good cause, then uh, then uh, yeah. And obviously, when it comes to contacting us, it's not only with regards to giving feedback, but of course, if you think or if you feel like we're not covering enough in terms of uh, news from Europe and you know a good source, that is very much appreciated, especially if you send us an email with something that happened recently and if it's uh, it was published in a different language, a quick uh, summary in English would be really mm. much appreciated. Even though we are following dozens of different sources, news sources, we might overlook something that could be of interest to everyone around Europe. Okay. Oh, by the way, before we, before we go on, I have to ask you whether you've heard that uh, physics might need some rewriting. 
No, what, what <laughs> do you mean? It's a bit of an exaggeration. It's a bit of an exaggeration. But uh, researchers, astronomers and um, uh, astrophysicists, they recently came up with something that looks like the universe is expanding faster than it was earlier thought to be. Mm-hmm. And that means that the universe might be younger than we previously thought. Ooh. Maybe it's like like 6,000 years old, you mean? Uh, no, 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 <laughs> not that. No, it's like uh, they, they, they... So it's interesting that scientists gather a lot of data. They measure stuff. And uh, as long as everything fits their theory, there's nothing wrong. Then they stick with the theory, right? Mm-hmm. Then a couple of pieces of data come in that show some kind of deviation from that norm. And they realize that, okay, this is a little bit odd. This could be a fluke based on some kind of measurement or it could come with uh, the equipment or something. And then when a lot of these odd-looking pieces of data come in, they have to come up with an explanation. And now this we are at that stage now. So they think that the, the universe is expanding about 10% faster than they previously thought. But that means that our estimations with regards to the age of the universe are off as well. Mm. They have to be <laughs> yeah. if the expansion is faster. So, yeah, it's uh, actually very interesting. And uh, one of the, the researchers who came forward with this uh, was uh, Adam Rees, who's a professor of physics and astronomy at the Johns Hopkins University. And he won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 2011 for showing in the 1990s that the, the universe is actually accelerating. Ah. So oh. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they, they are correcting their own ideas. Yeah. And, uh, interesting. Yeah, but obviously the headlines say that we have to rewrite physics and a new physics have to, has to be worked out. No, it's not true. Yeah. We just need to find that something that makes this difference. Yeah. And this is what I love about science, that these are the nuances, the little things. Well, not that little when it comes to <laughs> universal sizes, the sizes of the universe. <laughs> obviously, it's not that little a difference, but still. Yeah. I mean, okay. Oh, I just love science. I fucking love science. Okay, with that off our chests, uh, I think we should be starting the show with uh, the first segment presented by Yelena, and that is This Week in Skepticism. Yes, This Week in Skepticism. Today, I want to mention a very important lecture that has happened on the 30th of April, 1878. This lecture was given by a guy called Louis Pasteur. <laughs> exactly. Front- That's exactly Is how that- he pronounced it himself. Correct, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pasteur. <laughs> who was a French biologist, macrobiologist, and chemist. He's done a lot of wonderful things. I'll mention a few of them in a second. And he presented this lecture in front of the French Academy of Science in support of his germ theory of disease. And he has stated that many diseases were actually caused by tiny organisms. Unsurprisingly, I guess, uh, at the time, his uh, theory was met with opposition from scientists, from some scientists, like anything new, really, I guess. And he called that opposition fatal to medical progress, which we cannot agree more, especially now knowing what we know. In this lecture, he has also described the ways to prevent infection and uh, provided the skeptics who didn't know whether that's what to believe <laughs> with an experiment with which they have to, they can prove the theory to themselves which is i think one of the most brilliant ways to present anything new although it's not always possible so he was quite lucky to be able to do that so now we understand the theory of disease and i think even you if you ask kids in school they probably will be able to tell you what this this theory is but before the, the theory of disease has been formulated by louis people came up with all sorts of rubbish so the Greek physician Hippocrates uh, thought that bad air from swampy areas was to blame for diseases. And in the 19th century, involvement in microscope technology enabled a generation of microbiologists to investigate the world of previously unseen disease-causing organisms. So I think we've evolved a came a long way. 
So interestingly enough, Louis Pasteur was uh, tasked by the wine drinkers and winemakers to understand the um, fermentation process in wine. It's like it had nothing to do with anything, really. And so he discovered what caused fermentations, and then he invented the method to prevent wine from going bad, which we now call pasteurization. Uh, in fact, this method is now used on more than wine. We Obviously, we know milk and, and, and other products. But then this kind of a thing got him excited and led him to explore uh, this in, in more details. And that's how he discovered the, uh, the theory of germ diseases. And in the long term, in the long run, it also uh, helped us develop vaccines and all other wonderful things that advanced medicine and um, helped people not to die from treatable things. So great wow. stuff. Uh, but that lecture was pretty uh, historic, I think, um, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. So well done. I mean, th there might be a, an episode where I will talk about Louis Pasteur in more details. But uh, for now, I yeah. think that's that's all I want to say. I had no idea that it actually was about wine. That I know. It started with he wine. My respect for him is so suddenly much increased, and yeah. it was high before as well. <laughs> well, you know how these these things tend to kind of you tend to stumble upon them. Uh, what was the story with the penicillin that it was found? Um, yeah, it was in a petri dish that wasn't properly. It was left over. Yeah, and, uh, so completely by by accident. So these wonderful yeah. things happen now and again that yeah. save millions of lives. Oops. Yeah. yeah oops. Those, those bacteria don't grow there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why that's great. Is that? By the way, do you guys know what pasteurization, uh, the, the process itself yeah, it's, is Yeah, I think about? it's about heating up to a certain temperature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, a, it's for liquids that usually contain a lot of water. They try to do it under the mm. temperature of 100 degrees because that's when mm. water boils. So they don't want the, the liquid to change phase. Yeah. They want it to stay homogenous. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but there is, there is a process of ultra-pasteurization when they do go above uh, around 130 degrees. But that's, that means that they, they even kill, because they usually don't kill bacteria, don't, don't kill germs with pasteurization. No? No, they stay there, but it's stabilized by inactivating them. And, and uh, the enzymes and everything that they need, they are destroyed. Aha. But the ultra-pasteurization actually kills most of them. Yeah. So that's, that's a way of sterilization, yeah. actually. Okay, but yeah, yeah, you were saying no, no, but it, it's a little bit uh, yucky to remember that it doesn't remove the bacteria. It, they're yeah. still there, even if you ultra pasteurize it. Your milk actually contain a certain amount of bacteria, but it's harmless for you. But um, sorry, I have to be more precise. It's not the bacteria that it doesn't kill. They are basically in a lifeless form, but they can survive as spores. So, uh -huh. all right. Anyway, it works. Thank you, Louis. You fixed that for Pasteur. us. That's good. <laughs> Very good. Exactly. Yeah, and we can enjoy our wine and as well as our milk uh, now. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Yelena. Moving on <laughs> to our next segment. Um, which is not science, well, actually. Which is not science. Really far from science. Uh, this is why Pontus has to poke the Pope again. Yeah, the Pope has been busy with Easter. So he's been pretty worked up about things, saying... Well, one thing he said <laughs> was actually that the resurrection is the most shocking event in human history. I'm sure, actually, in his world that the, the resurrection is a big thing. But then again, he also believes that it actually happened. And personally, I have my doubts. But that's business as usual for a Pope, I guess. On the Good Friday sermon, he actually took some time to recognize that the church has done some harm to children and vulnerable people. But he, it, I, I'm not quite happy. He's, he's not spelling it out directly. So what he said, he wanted to say a prayer for the little ones wounded in their innocence and in their purity. And that's his way of admitting that the church has done some bad things. And then he couldn't linger on that too long. He also had to add that the church has also suffered a lot, of course. So he prayed for, and I quote... Oh, poor church. Yeah, the poor church. The cross of the church who feels herself continually attacked from inside and outside. 
So the church uh, is female somehow. And that last part about being in, you know, <laughs> let's not go to this. It's not the holy sea, it's the holy sheep. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. But it, to be a little bit serious, it's interesting that he used that phrase inside and outside because we have mentioned it before that it's hinted that he's struggling a bit with enemies within the church as well. It's not just being attacked from the outside. And I think there's more to come. Francis is working on a new constitution for the Vatican. He's been doing that for about six years. It's believed that it will be revealed soon, or at least during summer. He's working on a, co- a document called the Predicate Evangelium, which means preach the gospel. Obviously. Yep. And it's now, uh, yeah, for us uh, Latin nerds, I guess. This document is now out for review with the bishops all around the world, and he's awaiting their feedback, etc. But what we know now is that it's quite a revolution that he has planned. The big news is that the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, what we formerly knew as the Papal Inquisition, it will be demoted. And there will be a new super department created by merging something called the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples. It's also known as the Propaganda Fidei. Propaganda doesn't really sound good in in English, but I guess in Latin it only means that you speak for something. So so we'll merge that and something called the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of the New Evangelization, which is a smaller department that was created by Pope Benedict XVI, the previous pope. So he's rearranging quite a lot there. And And the Vatican government, or the Curia, will also be reorganized. And the current congregations and pontifical councils will be replaced with departments known as dicasteries. I think that's how you pronounce it in in English. So that's pretty exciting stuff. We'll see if he manages to pull all of this off. And it seems more and more evident. uh, I, I don't know. It seems like he could be challenged on this. And we will see how it ends up. Interesting. Yeah. The Vatican, it's interesting in general that a Vatican City state has to have a constitution. I mean, I don't think it's called a constitution, isn't it? called a, the fundamental law. It was called the constitution in the English translations that I was reading. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Maybe there's a better word for it. Never mind. Yeah. But I think, um, I think it, it never existed before 2000. Mm-hmm. But I wonder... Why wasn't it enough to follow the New Testament and especially Jesus' teachings? Ah, yeah, yeah. Because if, if that were the basis of the Vatican as a state, well, I don't think it would have that much wealth. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. don't know. But it, it's interesting because the, the Pope is always, and I think still is, pretty almighty. He can do whatever he wants to within the church. So I don't think, maybe they don't, feel that they need a, a, a constitution from that point of view. The, the Pope is supposed to be infallible, isn't he? So Yeah, since, since Pius the Ninth, yeah, yeah, because the Vatican Council, the First Vatican Council, decreed papal infallibility, yeah. which is just ridiculous, but never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know, yeah. you know who gave the first... Uh, the Pope... Back then, he wasn't called the Pope, but the Bishop of uh, Rome mm-hmm. was not wealthy. You know who gave the first palace to the Bishop of, of uh, Rome? Mm-hmm. No. Constantine the Great. Oh, really? Ah, okay. In the, yeah, in the 300s. Yeah. He wasn't a devout Catholic, but um, he, his mother was a very devout one. And uh, Constantine just used it for political purposes. And he never made it the state religion. Uh, that's that happened later. That's a, yeah, yes, much later, about eighty years later. Uh. But many people think, and they even claim. I, I've heard that from guides as well, tour guides, saying that uh, that uh, Constantine the Great made it the state religion. No, he didn't. Uh. Okay, that was my <laughs> contribution. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. No worries. <laughs> All right, we'll see who the, how this one pulls it off. This Pope pulls it off. Okay, thank you very much, Pontus, for poking the Pope once again. And that means that we are turning towards um, covering news items. 
So, I don't know if you remember, we have briefly mentioned the fact that um, Ukrainian presidential elections were on and that one of the candidates running was a comedian slash actor. Uh, he was, just to remind everyone, he was not just a comedian, he was an actor who played a president in a series called The Servants of the People. So there's a lot to think about. Uh, he's a complete novice in politics. Well, he was never involved in politics. He's a millionaire connected to billionaires and other rich and important people. He's got a lot of money and connections. Anyway, he also is actually um, qualified as a, as a lawyer. So he finished uh, a law school, but he's never practiced law. I guess maybe that's one thing he's got going. <laughs> Somewhat relevant to the yeah, somewhat relevant to the post. Yeah, I guess so. He ran his campaign not based on any policies because he didn't have any policies, just based on just purely his personality and opposing yeah. the current president, which, as I understood, wasn't that hard to do because previous president was pretty poor. He uh, won in a landslide; over seventy percent people voted wow. for him. Now he is promising to drain the swamp in Ukraine <laughs> oh, yeah. and stop wow. the bring stop in the, the new corruption. billionaires as yeah. the background and um, oh, yeah. increase pensions and uh, pay better wages. Well, yeah, listen, I'm all up for that. So let's see how that goes. Whether he can deliver, he obviously talks the talk, and it got him where he is now. And see if he can walk the walk. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, it reminds me of a of a saying. I don't know if if you have that in your languages. Corruption is when you are left left out of the deal, and <laughs> that's what what you see as corruption. Yeah. And uh, this this is what it feels like. That he he's probably gonna make his own connections. He's already he already has them. I do 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 know for a fact that there is a saying in 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 English that is out of the frying pan into the fire. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. I think I think a lot of people believe him, like a just the regular Ukrainians. Yeah, because he he played that freaking president. Yeah. So a lot of people are sitting in front of the TV mm. and they don't feel like the, they they live in the right world. They say that oh yeah, I want that person to be my president. Mm. Now they got see him. How that comes out <laughs> yeah. for them. Well, it's interesting Good that luck. you have to be a, a TV personality to be elected. Ah, so maybe that became a requirement now in 21st century. Well, if you go back, you have had that all the way since Ronald Reagan, in a way. Uh, he was, yeah. yeah. He was an actor. He was a TV personality as well. Mm, you basically need to be recognized. Your face needs to be out there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah, the most prominent face, like, for example, in Italy, the most prominent face in the Movimento Cinque Stelle, the five-star movement, was a former comedian, yeah. Peppe Grillo. And Berlusconi, yeah. you know how, how he started his career? Well, He was a performer <laughs> on a cruise ship. Really? That's how I he started. Know. And then he became, I think he became a croupier, and uh, then he yeah. he climbed up the ladder. Yeah. So probably found connections, probably got in touch with the right people. And then he ended up uh, owning 50% of the media outlets of the country. Yeah. And that's how he became prime minister for the first time. Hmm. Interesting. In the 90s, yeah. the beginning of the 90s. All right. So, yeah. Well, we'll see how this one will um, make it now that he's come to power. Hopefully it's yeah. not as bad as you have a reason to suspect, I guess. But he came into power by being voted in, right? So uh, it means that a lot of people supported him. And that's the worry when it comes to products and stuff like that, that, that people try to sell you. Because if it has the support of a lot of people, then it can go viral. And when there is an organization or some kind of a recognition, an international kind of recognition behind a product that is based on people's choices, then it gets even worse. So have you ever heard of uh, Mum's Choice Awards? No. no, I hadn't before. I, I've read this article, but uh, I hadn't before. Uh, you've read the article yeah, on Edzardern's blog, yeah, right? Did, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Mum's Choice Awards, and I quote uh, the website of Mum's Choice Awards, 
evaluates products and services created for children, families, and educators. The program is globally recognized for establishing the benchmark of excellence in family-friendly media, products, and services, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, the organization is based in the United States and has reviewed thousands of items from more than 55 countries. So why it holds some interest to Europeans as well is because among those 55 countries, there are a lot of European countries. So the producer, the, the manufacturer of that product is from a European country as well that we are talking about right now that is called Calm Kids Homeopathic Medicine. Ah! So... So it's, it's Calm Kids, right? As in keeping them keeping calm. Keeping them calm, yeah. yeah. Okay. When it comes to... When it comes to sneezing, runny nose, nasal congestions, that's when you use it or that's when it's recommended by homeopaths. Ah. Uh, well, everything that is listed as an ingredient is at least at 3C potentia. You know what a potentia is, right? The potentia is when you dilute it, but it's not only about diluting it, but also applying some 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 extra force, like shaking it. And that's the, the, the idea behind it, that the molecules reorganize themselves in a way that the solvent will remember what this uh, material was, that it was uh, solved in it. So, things like allium tepa, that is basically onion... <laughs> Apis mellifica, that is honeybee, and things like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm not going to list all the different ingredients, but those are potentiated at least to the third level of a C dilution. A C potential means a dilution to the hundredth. Mm. When you do it three times, that means one to one million dilution, mm. right? And a 15C means one to the power of uh, 30. Yeah. So... That is a ridiculous amount of dilution. You will not find anything in it. However, the website claims that uh, it uh, relieves sneezing and runny nose, nasal congestion, aches associated with colds and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, the thing is that, first of all, that they should not be giving any kind of indication as to what it is used for. Because as far as I know, it is among those uh, products that are so-called exemptions to the requirement of serious clinical trials. So they were registered in the book of uh, medicine in a short way. I don't, I don't know what the, the right expression is for that. Never mind. So Mum's Choice Awards gave its support to something that we know for sure to be absolute bogus. Yeah. It's sugar pills. When you analyze it, it's, it's sugar just pills. sugar pills. It's sugar pills and obviously produced by Boiron. Boiron, the, mo the biggest what supplier else? of homeopathic remedies in Europe. Yes. And the thing is that Mom's Choice Awards website has an online shop where you have the button to all the, the vendors who actually sell those products. So thank you very much for propagating nonsense. However, I have to say that there is a footnote on the website. It says, claims based on traditional homeopathic practice, not accepted medical evidence, not FDA evaluated. No one will read that. No, but thank nobody, you very much nobody, for adding it. Nobody will read yeah. that. They, they would just take it. Oh, it's mum's choice of what? So, yeah, it must be good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Ah! All right, we have a report from UNICEF, the UN organization about measles. Of course, we have to talk about measles. We we wish we wouldn't have to talk about measles, but still we do. UNICEF released a report stating that almost 170 million children in the world under the age of 10 including half a million in the UK, are unprotected from measles. This is bloody alarming in a world, as we recorded last week. Measles has risen 300% in the last year. So the situation is even worse than that in low- and middle-income uh, countries, like Africa, I think it's 700%. So we have mentioned quite a many times before that uh, measles is so contagious that you need to reach at least... 95% vaccination rates to keep this uh, disease in check. But since we're very far from that, we will continue to see the measles numbers rising in the world. So uh, this is really bad news. But we need to make sure that the vaccine against measles are getting available to all children in the world 
as soon as possible and uh, damn all the anti-vax people who says yeah. otherwise. Yeah, I agree. Mm. But I have to say that it's not only measles that is important to be vaccinated against. And especially uh, the WHO, uh, WHO, uh, often reminds us that there are certain age groups, for, for example, and demographic segments of society that are specifically vulnerable to certain kinds of diseases. And that example is the flu that re-emerges every year, and especially elderly people and those with a compromised immune system or who are pregnant, they are especially vulnerable. So this is why uh, some countries came up with uh, different projects and campaigns to increase the overall uptake of uh, the flu shots. A couple of years ago, it was the Irish government who supported the Pharmacy Union and the National Immunization Office was behind the whole thing. And it was it was quite a successful campaign, but this time it's a campaign by the Lourdes municipality in Portugal that did a six-week pilot project. They tried to increase flu vaccination by providing vaccination services free of charge and without a prescription. Because earlier on, the the Portuguese government made a very important step. In the flu season, GPs are very overwhelmed by the sheer number of people trying to consult them. Obviously, when it comes to flu shots and trying to keep everything at bay when someone carries the disease, it's it's difficult. But uh, the government came up with a plan that the pharmacists and pharmacies themselves could administer the vaccines. Mm. But the problem was that still it needed a medical prescription and the vaccine was not paid for by the government, so it was not reimbursed. Mm -hmm. Now, this time, it was last year, actually, this pilot project ran from October the 15th to the 31st of December, offered elderly people, that is, aged 65 and above, an access to flu vaccination without prescription and with no administration fee. Turned out that um, the uptake of the flu vaccine increased by 32%. percent mm. And that is, I think, a pretty promising result. It's still far from what the WHO outlined as a goal yeah. for flu vaccine uptake, because they say that 75% should be vaccinated at least. So 75 or above in order to save a lot of people or, or spare a lot of people from all those times that they have to go through the disease itself. And obviously, it is a massive burden on the national health services as well. So, yeah, I think it's a promising result. And it's not the first one, but it's the most recent one. So hope the government learns the lesson. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that different vaccinations have different challenges. The challenges with measles is basically that it's so contagious that you have to have such a high yeah. vaccination rate to get it covered. The, the challenge with Flu is, on the other hand, that it mutates all the time. So you have to yes. you have to develop new vaccines basically every year, and that is yes. difficult. And you have to go and be vaccinated again and again. Measles, the flu, and a lot of other diseases—they are not that mild. I mean, people tend to describe them as really mild diseases, but they're not really, and they have potential side effects that can kill you. Yeah. But yet there is such a great force against this vaccination. And other issues include migration. So one example, for example, the EU should be dealing with that in much more depth when people come from a country where there is a much stronger anti-vaccination sentiment. They bring their own, their own mindsets with them. There, there was a, a study recently published with uh, Polish communities within Scotland showing a much lower vaccine uptake rate hmm. than local people uh, with regards to HPV vaccine, for example. Yeah. It is a very complicated issue and we have to address it as such. I do think that what we need is more educators, more people who explain stuff, stuff to us, right? Mm. Yes, correct. And one such educator has been mentioned on the German Gewürpis website, the German Skeptics website, mm -hmm. called, his name is Benjamin Teller, and he started his own YouTube channel called Why Be Skeptical. This channel is all in German, 
Uh, we will link to his uh, site mm -hmm. in our show notes. He's uh, started recently, very, very recently, a couple of months ago, and he is exploring various topics and highlights why it is important to be skeptical. So he's spoken about, for example, homeopathy, how does homeopathy works. Mm -hmm. He's spoken about similarity principles. He's spoken about UFO. So I'm assuming that he'll continue going. There's at the moment five videos that's um, uploaded, but keep an eye on him uh, and uh, we will see where he gets with that. Um, so that's for German skeptics, specifically this particular uh, YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah, good, good. Yeah, very good. I mean, Europe has a big uh, German speaking population, so the outreach can be very Yeah, it's big, about right? 100, 100 million people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Altogether, yeah. yeah. So it's pretty important. Pretty cool. But but I do think it's important for such video series to be present in every language that's that's out there. Yeah. I I'd like to encourage our listeners if you know of a video series in your language, please get in touch. Let us know because it, we would love to report it. Who knows? There, there might be listeners of the ESP who haven't known about them, and we might be the ones telling them that. Yeah. Good. So over to religion again, I guess. Yeah, no, <laughs> not again. <laughs> it is pretty important, I think. So we got an email from listener Bob pointing to a development in Spain. We see in Spain there was a study published that showed that the religiousness of the Spanish population is going down quite dramatically. If we go back a while, 30 years the number of non-believers was just 8.5%, so below 10%, very small in 1980. But now, or rather in 2018, it's up to 27%. And what's even more interesting is that if you break this study down by age distribution, you can see that in the old the old farts, <laughs> the 65 plus, the farts. <laughs> 65 plus years old people, it's close to 90% still believers. Mm. and But then if you go down to the young people, 18 to 24, it's about 50-50. And uh, since, uh, well, you've probably guessed by now, I'm not such a big fan of religion. And I see this as uh, rather good news. People are looking for more rational ways of viewing the world than can be supplied by religion and the Catholic Church because yeah. Spain is mainly a Catholic country. Yeah, maybe, maybe we are uh, uh, seeing a turnaround. It will take, we will have to wait for the old people to die off, of course, but <laughs> eventually <laughs> maybe religion will have a, a less of an impact on, on society than before. Actually, Bob, who sent this email, he says it, it fits with his anecdotal evidence because uh, he says that on the very few times that I have been dragged into a church uh, by my wife, I don't think I've saw a single person below 50. So <laughs> Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. So, it was uh, a great one. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that's not like a scientific study or anything, but it still indicates that maybe it's true. But, you know, according to Thomas Kuhn... Hmm? I don't know if you've read The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. I have not. He explains it, how in order for scientific paradigm change, paradigmatic changes to occur, you have to wait for the for the, the yeah. old farts yeah, 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 to, yeah. to go. No, I've seen that. It's yeah. just, it's not even science accepts the new paradigms without the, the holders of the old paradigm to to die out. Yeah. We we're, we're not <laughs> wishing for anybody to die by the way. Just No, 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 no. We we no. we're patient. But, yeah. We're going to wait. <laughs> we can wait. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Talking about revolutions and mm. and changes, massive changes and new paradigms. I think one of the most controversial ones these days is electromobility and electric vehicles. You Pontus, you are well aware that I'm so enthusiastic that that some people even claim that I have a religious attitude <laughs> towards uh, electric cars. I have been to Hungary and been taken for a ride by Andras in in an electric vehicle. So yes, I mean literally yes. taken taken for a ride. I was not, taken not... for a ride. It. Uh, <laughs> 
I was a bit nervous at the end because the battery was running out, but apparently everything was okay once you dropped <laughs> us off and you, you, you made your way to a charging station. So good for you. Yeah, but wasn't it a great experience? It was. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I'm actually considering buying one of those cars. Yeah. And you probably came across that uh, publication that was published by uh, German researchers of... IFO CES, which is the IFO Institute Center for Economic Studies. It's an, an institute of, oh, sorry, it's a well-respected institute in Germany, but it stirred up a massive controversy worldwide, I think, because uh, what they claimed was that a Tesla Model 3 produces more carbon dioxide than a diesel car. Ooh. They they considered in the study. I haven't read the the original German study, only the reporting of it in English. But apparently, they claim that um, when it comes to production of the electric car, especially that of the batteries, mm. it comes with a lot of carbon dioxide emission, and it's not very clean. It's not only that, but especially with regards to Germany, where after saying that um, nuclear power is completely out of the question for the future, obviously they have to stick to a lot of coal and um, fossil fuel. So it's not very clean. That energy. Now, sure, it, it depends on how you produce the electricity, exactly, of course. Yeah. Exactly. And this is why I don't think it's very nice to say that it is not the technology of the future, because it's the most energy-efficient way of powering a car. And it doesn't, locally, it doesn't emit any carbon dioxide. And it has some value. So it's not only that you don't g give out pollution overall, but local carbon dioxide emission, and not only carbon dioxide, but other pollutants, can change the quality of the air inside the cities. So power plants are usually not within the city limits. So they are outside the city limits. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that they emit all that shit, but it doesn't go right under your nose when when you're walking on the streets, for example. Mm. That is one, one thing. But the other thing is that there are countries where renewable energies are almost 100% of the total energy output. Those countries include Canada, especially some provinces of Canada, Norway, uh, Sweden is pretty pretty up there, absolutely. As yeah. far as I know, I think when we consider all that and we put it all together, then yes, I'm sorry, but electric cars are a much better solution, and they should be the solution of the future. I admit that a lot of countries are still not there yet because of their electric power output is being generated by fossil fuels, mm. and that's not a good th solution. You have to get rid of that anyway. So yes, you have to get rid of that too. Yeah, and I will share an, a link to one of these uh, very, very nice uh, articles. And that says that shrink that footprint, shades of green. And it, it deals with electric cars, carbon emissions around the globe. And it was published in 2013. So these researchers should know about that. And, um, well, they conclude that it's all about the juice, where the juice comes from that you use to power your car. Yeah. And there are countries. Paraguay, for example, is the best country with that regard. And mm -hmm. Brazil is very low carbon. And Iceland, France, they produce electricity with very low carbon emissions. So please don't publish things that really look like they are to serve the car industry. Yeah, Electric cars are the future, so fuck off. Yeah, don't be in the pocket of big diesel. Yeah, and <laughs> please don't accuse me of being religious. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, that's all of the news items. That means that we need to find out who's been really wrong lately. And Pontus will shed some light on that. Yes, I mentioned, I believe it was last week, I mentioned Geta Thunberg. I think a lot of people know who she is. She is the 16-year-old girl who has been skipping school, striking for making sure that we do something about climate change. She's been around the world. She has said hello to the Pope. Obama has posted on Twitter about her. She's getting really... She's nominated for the Peace Prize, of the Nobel Peace Prize. So mm -hmm. she's getting a lot of attention. 
Not only positive attention, though. People attack her on an extremely emotional basis as well. And there's some absolute fury from some directions that are quite appalling. So I will go through a little bit of what they say about her and why they are wrong. First of all, the first claim is that she flies around the world to deliver a message. That is not very environmentally friendly. Why doesn't she stop with that? Well, the answer is she doesn't actually fly. She always travels by train if she can. And she keeps documented that on, on Instagram and other social media. You can follow her exactly she, she because she wants to make sure that people know that she does take the train, if at all possible. Of course, it's not possible if you have to go to the UN in uh, the US. The second thing that people say that she is not an expert on climate change. So what does she know? Well, she never said she was an expert. She says she wants you to listen to the experts. Because so we're she... talking about her fucking future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so shut up and listen to the experts. She has never said that she is an expert. It's also said, point number three, that her parents put her up to all of this. So she's backed up and she didn't invent this herself. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It took her quite some time to convince her parents that this course was just. And because of her, they have now had to change. And they have also now stopped flying. And they're doing other things to be more climate friendly. So no, she wasn't put up to this by her parents. Point number four is that she is doing this all for the money. She's somehow getting funded, etc. That's not true at all. Her parents pay for all the travel expenses. There's no financial gain out of this. She has had some initial collaboration with some organizations. She doesn't do that anymore. And there was never a financial gain to this. Point number five is that people tell her that she should be in school instead of making a nuisance. And uh, they should know then that uh, she actually follows a special plan because she is uh, diagnosed with Asperger and she has a special plan. She keeps up with her schoolwork largely on a, well, a bit different schedule, but she does keep up with her schooling. And secondly, she does travel mostly on holidays or with school approval. So uh, that that's not true either, that she should be in school rather than doing this. <laughs> And the sixth point, and there are more points, but the sixth and last point I would bring up is that people say, well, she's only a child. And yes, she's only a child. Why are you attacking her so fiercely? Why are you so upset? She's just a child. And point two on that one is that she's actually acting much more mature than many of her critics are. Yeah. And some decision makers. Yeah. yeah. And the <laughs> point of what she's doing is that she is making a lot of noise and she forces people to focus on the actual facts. The good thing she's doing is that people can't avoid hearing her message now. Mm -hmm. And that's that's very important. And then we can debate the details. Yeah, you know, that that's fine. That's fine. But she's creating an awareness or what they call a sense of urgency. And that that's very important to get things done. It is. It is yeah. indeed. Yeah. So, for being total morons, adults that attack Greta Thunberg as a person, instead of arguing responsibly about the facts, they get today's prize for being really wrong. Ooh, yeah. Deservedly so. Thank you very much, Wanders. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help, but it, it reminded me of a Hungarian girl, and she spoke up against the government as a student who suffers from the steps of the government in terms of the educational changes and, and mm -hmm. that they destroy our future and everything. Yeah. And now the government and media outlets loyal to the government, they attack her and they completely destroyed her. That's despicable. Again, and I think she's 18, just, just a kid. And yeah. she was right. Okay, she could have explained herself better she shouldn't have said a couple of things that she did because it's not nice but she was right she was still right and we're not discussing what she she said that's just no. ad hominem it, is, it shouldn't be applied yeah. it's it's amazing how emotional old people can get when somebody young is pointing out what's really obvious yeah and what's yeah. really wrong and yeah, for really that, wrong. they are really wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks very much again, Pontus. All right. 
And since we are coming to the end of the show, when we when we conclude the show, I think all that's left for us to do is Yelena hitting us with a quote. I'm gonna hit you with a quote. You wait. Slap, slap this. <laughs> slap us with, with slap a quote. Our slap faces the with this quote. <laughs> so the quote that I have for you today actually for, is from uh, Louis Pasteur as well, because oh, I thought okay. I'll just stay consistent. Hey. Yeah, good. It's good when it works out like that. Science knows no country because knowledge belongs to humanity and is the torch which illuminates the world. Science is the highest personification of the nation because the nation will remain the first which carries the furthest the works of thought and intelligence. So there we go. Nice. Very good. Louis yeah. Pasteur. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks very much for that. Thanks very much for Louis Pasteur, dear God. What? I'm just thanking God for Louis Pasteur. Okay. That's the wrong show you're on now, I think. <laughs> All right. But I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today. Oh, Yelena thank you Pontus. very much. Pleasure as always. Many thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please yeah. keep doing so. Mm-hmm. And until next week, goodbye. Bye. Paka paka. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Contact details. Yes, you can always tell us anything you want. Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, just get it out of your chest. Whatever. Like, write to us. Yeah. What did you eat today? What What your cat <laughs> is up to right now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Um, appreciate and uh, <laughs> yes, you can certainly do that. Which erection? No, no, the resurrection. Did I? Oh, sorry. (laughs) This time it's not about sex. Yeah, it's not about you, Rekka. It's about America. No, 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 no. That's (laughs) that's a bad joke. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.